Good morning, City Life. Good morning to all of our City Lifers and visitors. Welcome to church. We're glad that you're here today. We're just going to jump right on in. We have a lot to cover. Um, today we continue into our, our sermon. Well, actually, before that, my name is Pedro Reese, and I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, it's uh, great to have you here. Um, today we're continuing in our sermon series uh, called Sexuality, Know and Be Known. Um, one that we've been in for several weeks now, a few weeks, and I pray that you uh, feel free to listen to our previous ones. We're kind of redefining of what it means, like biblical sexuality, that we were made to be sexual beings. Fundamentally, our definition of sexuality is that God has made us to have this desire to know and be known by other people. And so, like, our every desire and every effort to know and be known ourselves as well is like sexuality is in that and it means a lot of really great things and there's like a lot of redemption that needs to happen and also a lot of redefining recapturing like the biblical worldview on all of this big matter and today we turn our attention to a rather big subject in the field of sexuality a rather uh, hard one a complex one, a big one that deserves a lot of like a gravity and, and attention and compassion. Uh, we're going to talk about same-sex relationships today. And so let's start here. Four to five times a year, roughly, four to five times a year, I get an email in my, in my church website, uh, church uh, email, and it, they're worded different, but the basic premise of these emails is someone saying, hey, like, I'm either LGBT plus or a very close dear friend, dear loved one of mine is. Am I welcome at your church? Or is my loved one welcome at your church? The questions, the, the basic premise is, will, like, my whole person find a home at City Life? Am I, am I welcome here? Is City Life a safe place for me or for my loved one to bring? Because I don't want to be in a home that's not safe for me or my loved one. And every time I get that email, it breaks my heart. It like really breaks my heart. And I, every time they're like, I cry, right? I need that outburst of emotion. Like every time it breaks my heart and it should break all of our hearts because the questions that are not being answered, the statements that are not being explicitly said in those emails is, I haven't been welcome in the past. Or it's like, I, my whole person was rejected before. Or I've had so many unsafe places. I've had to hide parts of like what I like intimately think of myself. And I want to hear, like, I, people, like, the, the question behind the question is, like, I, I, want, I want to hear about Jesus, but I haven't found a safe place to do that. Somehow, the places that I go to, I've, I'm told that I'm a monster. And so, like, off the bat, no matter what our theological stance is, and we're going to talk about our church's theological stance on the matter today, no matter what we think about the issue these emails and these sentiments and the fact that the church has not been a safe place should break our hearts. It should like utterly break our hearts that people have to ask us, 
Am I welcomed in your church? It is like a tragedy. It is so sad that that question, that somebody has to be so brave to ask us that question, where the church should be the safest place for everyone to be. I, I don't know this struggle personally, and I will not speak today from like a place of familiarity. Uh, but growing up, I learned that I could hide the fact that I was born somewhere else. Because for some reason, for some people, that was a big deal. And my name kind of gives it away, right? Pedro. There's something going on there. But um, I've see, I saw people who found out a, a, an important, a big, and a good part of who I am why I am the way that I am and who I am. And then I saw they that they rejected me. And like that principle remains here. It's like so many people, like when you learn this piece of information, they were one person a moment ago and now they're totally different and they don't fit anymore. And when I get these emails, it's people saying like, am I safe to come here? And that should like break our hearts. It should break our hearts that people are turned away from the church. It should break our hearts that people know, like they know that our reputation is you are not safe here. Like that should break our hearts and it like saddens God and Jesus that his church isn't known as a safe haven for all. For everyone who is like sexually broken, which we've talked uh, different versions of right already in this sermon series. Like it should break our hearts because it breaks God's that the LGBT plus people know that like church in general is not the place for them to run to, to like find comfort in, to find people who will love them. And so like we're going to go there today because it, is, it matters. It matters what we believe. It matters how we are going to achieve, like making sure that LGBT people in our city and even people with same-sex attraction in our midst, like already, like know that they are loved, that we believe certain things that come out of scripture. And that includes that they are loved by God and should be loved by us. And so the reason of the why we go here today is so important. I am like not here to uniquely bash LGBT people and say that they are monsters. I am not here to condemn people. We are not here to condemn people. We are not here to promote ill will or hostility and violence against a group of people who, like, I like, don't know all of them. I'm, like, not here to promote these type of things for people that I do not know who are not intimately in my life, right? Um, that we are called to love and to serve, know and also be known by people with same-sex attraction who identify in ways that like are non-conforming. We're here today to do a couple of things. We're here to show respect and honor to people who have to write me those emails, to have to like reach out to our church and say, am I safe here? The amount of courage that it takes to write an email like that is tremendous. And so we're here to show anyone who would think about, do I need to write this email, honor and respect for the struggle that they go through and for what scripture calls of them in their lives. Like we're here to show honor and respect. We're here to offer up a biblically based sex, uh, ethic of sexuality in regards to same sex relationships and look at the whole view of what the scripture and what the church is called to do by God. 
we're here to say something meaningful about the about the topic of same-sex relationships so that we can start having meaningful conversations but more than just conversations meaningful relationships with people who identify in this way so look in the eyes of another human being say i'm gonna love you jesus loves you god loves you you're not a mistake you are loved by god and you are loved by us that I'm here to listen to you, to all of your happiness and all of your joy and all of your pain and all of the struggle. I'm here to listen to like, why you are so proud, right? We're in June, it's like, it's the National Pride Month. Like why, like, I wanna hear about you and your life and your heart and I won't leave and I'm here to also offer you Jesus and you are my neighbor, like all the biblical callings like are still here. I'm your neighbor, I'm your brother, or like you're my sister. I'm here to also offer and receive grace and truth and love and compassion and care because that's how Jesus saves any one of us who become saved. And so I know this is a very long already introduction, but like I, I did not want to proceed. I know this isn't like very preachy as well, but because our church right now, we are like building worldviews based on scripture. I did not want to say a single word about the prohibition that we're going to talk about and also the love and the call that we're going to talk about without also giving four like overlying statements that have formed every word that I say today. These four statements are this, that all people are image bearers and nothing that any that one does in life steals or diminishes this capacity of carrying God's image. We're all image bearers. Historically, what the LGBT plus community has received from the church is a message and a treatment that they are somehow uniquely broken from holding God's image, right? that they are uniquely incapable of being image bearers, that there is something just like so much more off from them than people who are straight. And that's not true. Romans 3, 23 to 26 says this, and it is, has to be fundamentally true of all of us. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justi justified by His grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show that God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness to the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Anyone who is ever saved, anyone who is saved, who has ever been saved, has been saved by a shocking amount of God's grace. All fall short. All of us. And yet all people are image bearers of the one true living God. Same-sex attraction does not mean that you carry his image any less than I do. Second statement is that as pastor, I do not pursue relationship with anyone on the basis of changing them. Right, if you have same-sex attraction or if you have anything else in life, I do not pursue a relationship with you 
on the basis, I'm trying to change you. Oh, if, if I only have like a couple more hours with you, I'm going to form you into the person that I think you should be. Like fundamentally, I don't pursue a single relationship with anybody with the purpose of, I know what you need. I'm going to change you. Like, no, our relationships are because we're called to know and be known by one another. It is only the Holy Spirit that brings true change in a soul. Right, John 16, 8, when Jesus talking about what the Holy Spirit would do when he came, it said, he said this, And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not my job. I'm here to know you and be known by you. Uh, third statement, as pastor, I bring no condemnation. That has to be fundamentally true. We already preached in the sermon series about John chapter 8, when Jesus met the adulterous woman, right? When this bloodthirsty group of men brought an adulterous woman to him. And he said, okay, okay, let's kill her. Whoever is sinless, throw the first stone. And one by one, everyone left, except for the only one who was truly sinless there. And then this sinless man looks to this daughter and says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus' response to her was this, Neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. And if there is no condemnation found in Jesus, in Christ, like in our Savior, there will be none in me. Right? The, the one who was perfect and sinless did not throw the stone. And if I'm called to be like him, that's like what I'm called to be as well. Like, yeah, everyone that I have a relationship with, well, like, I, will st- I will talk about scripture. Everyone that I have a relationship with, I will talk about truth found in scripture and not my own or not what like, I want to see happen. I will counsel anyone that I have a pastoral relationship with towards the biblical ethic. Because that also means there is no condemnation found in me. I have none to give. The sermon is not about condemning anyone. And then the last like, statement before we move on is that today is also a reminder of something that is not discussed in the church's call with same-sex relationships. It is a reminder that everyone has free choice. In this sermon series, we talked a lot because this is how the Bible paints a lot of this. We've talked about like God's design, right? That he, how he created everything and tells his narrative and how that like is communicating truth and beauty in his design. And equally a part of his design chosen by him was to give every person that ever lived free choice. And so you are free to choose what you want, to live what you want. I am not here and the church is not here to issue control, right? Because you have freedom of choice. We are all free to make our choices in this life. And that means that there are like consequences, right? That means that there is weight to that decision. But you like fundamentally know that you are free to choose, to choose God or to not, to choose what he says or to not. Like you are free. He does not force himself on you. And so with those statements, like let's jump into today's passage. We are going to be reading from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, a very typical 
way that scripture talks about same-sex relationships. Let's read this and then we'll pray and then we will like show, tell the game plan of what we are doing today. And so let's read. This is God's word. Romans chapter 1 verse 24. It begins saying this. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to the dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up the natural gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So let's, before I say a single word, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. And I ask for your covering over this morning and over this word and over the love, grace, and mercy that you shower to all of us in step with your truth. We love you and you love us. Lord, I pray for you to speak today, for you to move in our hearts, Lord, for you to give us an imagination to see what it is that you like call us to believe in and also like, oh, that is an amazing amount of grace that saves any one of us. I love you, Lord. We love you. We give you this morning, Holy Spirit. You're welcome to do what only you can do to shape us into Christ-like beings so that we are always ever more looking more like your son. We love you, Holy Spirit. You're welcome. And uh, we'll follow your steps today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so that was the word. That was our text for this morning. Equally as inspired as any other part, any other verse of Scripture, like equally a God who loves every single person He has ever made, which is all of us, and like building His sexual ethic in this world of what we should believe and how we should behave. And so this is what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Romans 1 and also how it kind of, how it matches every other text on same-sex relationships in scripture of like how it's like pretty is consistent with every other time that it's talked about and then we're going to also talk about how do we like fill, build this ethic through this word through this ancient book that was written for ancient people and like how it still speaks to us today and how we can build a worldview around this book and then we're also going to talk about the full picture of what the church is called for right it's not just prohibition but it is like life and brothers and sisters and neighbors living together and sharing, knowing and being known by one another. Crucial, like the definition of sexuality. And so let's look at Romans 1. Romans 1, Romans in general is this amazing book. It's this deep, theologically packed book, right? If, if you are early in your faith or late in your faith and you just like don't have a good hand on theology, like dense, thick theology, like doctrine, one of the first places that you should always turn to is Romans. Romans is this, it's like, it's heavy and thick with how we should be living in all different regards to life and how like Christ saved us all. 
And so he starts this book. He has this greeting. He ha he say, this section, section two is called Longing to Go to Rome in the ESV Bible. He's like, this is not a church that he founded, and he really wants to go. His heart yearned to go to Rome, and he writes that like multiple times. Uh, and then he like has this like, oh, that we should live for righteousness. And then he starts transitioning into a lot of different things that are un part of unrighteous living. And part of where he goes in this section is he talks about same-sex relationships. And really the reason why I chose this section to preach from today is because it captures the heart of what all of this biblical narrative talks about when it talks about same-sex relationships. Right? The reason why scripture uniformity gives prohibition to it, the reason why, like the deeper why is found in this Romans 1 passage. He says that like when the church, when believers, when like we are, when we receive this position, we step into this position of affirming same-sex relationships. This is two things are happening here in verse 25. It's because we exchange the truth about God for a lie. That's like ingredient number one, two ingredients here. And when we like start to affirm relationships here is because we are starting to exchange a truth of God for a lie. And then the second is that we start worshiping. We look more towards the creature, which just it's like us, humanity. We start looking more at us and what we want to see and what we want to accept other than what like God's story and God's design should say or does say to us. So like, let's like just digest that for a moment. Like when the church, when we start to like say that these relationships that we only see prohibition for in Scripture like just pointing that out, like we, there's only prohibition against same-sex activity and relationships in scripture when we start to say, yeah, like, yes, okay, like, okay, we believe this can be good. And not just in the world, right? Because like in my personal view, I think same-sex marriages should exist legally, but like as a part of the church or what God deems like a marriage, like it's not found in this book. It's not found in God's narrative and in this living word, right? More than just a book. This isn't a book written just by men, but it's like God's very word to us. And when we start to say yes, we're like exchanging what God says and his narrative, his design, his boundaries for what we want to see. And like, I have to admit, like, I, like in and of myself, like I want to be able to say yes. Like I, I want to be able to agree and affirm relationships, but like, it's not here, and I can only see an exchanging of God's story to make that road possible. And the second one is, like, is that we start to value more of just what we think, our logic, what we think is okay, like our struggle, right? Our like not being able to see the whole picture, and we exchange that for what like the Creator said, right? The creature determines reality more than the Creator. And like that becomes a problem because every argument that I've ever read about, and I read about different arguments, right? Any good scholarship or any good worldview building, you take into account Christians who believe the very opposite of what you believe. And like every one of those cases to me is an undoing of scripture that like I don't see how it's possible. Like in, in this word, we see a prohibition. And it's actually like quite grave most of the time that it talks about this. Let's go to our next section that's called Scripture's Movement. 
the thing about scripture that I like, I love, and I'm so fascinated on all different levels and on all different themes and parts of life is like, how do we take this book that is ancient book, right? Thousands and thousands of years ago, written over many authors and many different time periods and like a culture that is fundamentally not our own. How does this ancient book still speak to us today? How do we build worldviews? How do we build our ethics on this book written to a people from a culture that is quite alien to us a lot of times, right? There is some overlap. We are still fundamentally still human, just like all these people, right? But culture is so different. And I want to introduce to us like a, a hermeneutical tool, a tool of understanding of not just like translating the Greek or the Roman or the Aramaic, right? That too, but like for us, how do we take this and translate it into our lives? I want to introduce us to an idea uh, uh, written by William Webb. And it's called either the XYZ movement or the redemptive movement hermeneutic. And I like love this tool. I, I love what he writes about. And he himself introduced this in a book that he called uh, Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals. Wrestling with those three big topics and like, okay, how, what does scripture say? And how do we build our modern ethic on this? How do we build our worldview on this? That will like uh, call people to like big callings and call a lot of sacrifice for, for people in all different parts of life. Like, how do we do that? Because our decision needs to be responsibly reform, uh, informed, written by this book. And so in this, in this hermeneutical tool, in this movement, he says this, X, Y, Z. And I want to, this is a little teachy, right? This isn't so preachy, but like, I find this to be so valuable. X stands for the original culture of the day. And so in X, we do our job, our whole lives, part of our like knowing Christ is learning the culture behind the writing of this book, of understanding the Greco-Roman worldview that painted so much of this, and also understanding the Jewish worldview at the time, because this was written culturally for them. We need to catch up to what was happening to the, in these books culturally. And so how we learn for over the course of our whole lives, right? I went to seminary, but you don't have to go to seminary for this. We can just like read and learn what was going on and why this is said the way that it is. And because every page of this book is a radical call from Jesus, from the Lord, of like right living. How do we learn that? X is original culture. We learn the culture of the day. Learn about Old Testament culture. And learn about the New Testament culture so that we can also do Y, which is the biblical text. So X is the original culture. Y is the biblical text. We look throughout this whole book on any topic and we pull out every passage that explicitly talks about it or that it principally talks about it. So, okay, like in, in same-sex relationships, we go to every page of this book that, is, that talks about same-sex relationships, and then we read them, and we understand them, and we invest time in our hearts to understand, because this is a big call. And so we look through all the Old Testament passages, and then we look through all the New Testament passages, and we look for movement. Where is the movement happening? Right? And just to do some of that work for us on this topic, there are six major passages that the church and also opponents classically look in this book to talk about same-sex relationships. Right? Genesis, Genesis 19, 
which personally I find to be a poor place to begin. Because yes, there's like a prohibition on, on same-sex activity there, but it's also quite a different picture of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That was rape. That was like abuse. Of course, like that's definitely going to always be against God's way. But then, okay, so but church, classically, the church has used that. Genesis 19. And then we go to Leviticus, the Levitical code, right? The holiness codes. And it like speaks on it with like strong language, to say the least. Leviticus 18.22. Well, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination, right? That's not casual. That's big. That makes it so that we have to like really understand and be responsible with this. Leviticus 20, again, goes back to it. 2013, it says, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Right? Like, oh my God. It's like making it even more important for us as believers to understand what Scripture is saying. So those are, those are the big Old Testament ones. And then we look to the New Testament and we still see the prohibition, but we also see movement towards like moving away from the law. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Right? He's talking about the unrighteous and now he's going to list, Paul is listing a bunch of sins. And part of it is what we're talking about today. He says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And like, wow, like, okay, then this really matters. Then like, we really have to know what in the world, like, scripture is saying, because this is a big calling, right? That has eternal stakes at line. The other big one is 1 Timothy chapter 8 verses, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 and 11. And just for the sake of time, I won't read it, but you can read it and it's like fills the similar passages of what it says all the time. And so if we see this X, right, X, original culture, and then we read the biblical text, the next part is to form what William Webb calls the ultimate ethic. Like what is heaven like? What will be present in heaven? We look for the redemptive movement. Okay, if like God is working at us and liberating us over time through culture, and like these different subjects change, right? Like in his book, he talks about slaves and women and how there's redemptive movement in both, right? The Old Testament offers how to treat slaves. Slavery in that day was not modern day slavery. It was um, less racially tamed. But like it's still like the scripture, there was movement in slavery till the end where we get to the New Testament. And there's a whole book, Philemon, on how the end of slavery is koinonia, is fellowship, is like brotherhood, is family. And how like Paul writes, there's neither slave nor free, right? Like that we are one in Christ. And he also looks at women. Okay, women, the Old Testament was like really socially, publicly restrictive to women. And there are some aspects of that in the New Testament as well. But like, oh, like maybe those are cultural because Paul also writes that there is neither male or female and that like he himself empowers women. And so how do we build this worldview ethic on like women in leadership and in, like use the XYZ movement principle to see that there's movement but like in the term of, in the subject of homosexuality, there's like no movement to report. 
Like, we are not bound by the law. Like, we're not called today to be killing people who are same-sex attracted or in same-sex relationships of that. Like, I am eternally grateful. But, like, the prohibition on that relationship is not loosened in any way. That there's no, like, biblical understanding of affirming those types of same-sex relationships and activity. It's, like, always prohibited in Scripture. And so if we're in this process of building this ultimate ethic, like I believe in it is the stance of our denomination and our church that like to accurately look through scripture is that there's no redemptive movement in liberating these relationships. But the redemptive movement, I believe, is in how the church is called to live with our brothers and sisters. And so let's talk about radical change in our lives, not theology. I believe that the area that the church needs to grow in is not rewriting scripture, but understanding that our scriptural call is also to our LGBT brothers and sisters and neighbors. That the call that we have with this community that has been hurt deeply and profoundly by the church is not to change what scripture says, but to understand that this same scripture calls us to love and share our lives and share grace with our brothers and sisters, with our fellow image bearers, that we can like somehow be people who disagree and still love and still have deep relationship and really be invested in one another's lives. I want to read, because this is not my struggle, I want to read from a couple people whose this is their struggle who know the Lord, who have come to know Him and struggle with this profoundly, or who have, who have worked it out and are continuing to still work it out every day of their lives. Like the reason why I've mentioned Deborah Hirsch's book so much is because for much of Deborah Hirsch's adult life, she was only in same-sex relationships. And that's how she identified. And she came to know the Lord, and over time, her, the Lord met her and shaped her. And for, for a long time now, she's been married, and she's been married to a man, but like, that was a process that she writes about in her book, Redeeming Sex. Like, let's read that. There's so many voices out there that we've never even heard of, of like alternative ways to talk to people about the Lord who have this struggle. And she writes this, right, because this was her struggle, and she did not for such a long time have a safe place in the church or just saw that generally the church was really bad and has earned its bad reputation, she writes this. I love it. She says, Many people have formulated their theological positions devoid of any real contact or understanding of the very people it has been formulated about. But this is not how theology is supposed to work. It should be worked out in the robustness of human relationship with all love, pain, and angst that accompanies them. Radical engagement and loving of the other earns us the right to speak. Engaging with people wherever they find themselves or where we find them, and then slowly and intentionally pointing them towards the ideals of the kingdom, and therefore God is wonderfully liberating. Like that is our call to be loving people who like, will share life and have real, honest, intimate relationships. Where like, I, like, 
I want to know you, but I want you to know me as well. Like, let's have a real relationship. Like, I can, like we can believe different things. I can, we can believe opposing ideas. Like, and still, you are still my brother and my sister. And with, like, believers who have same-sex attraction and in same-sex relationships, like, we still serve the same Jesus. Like, Deborah, she also writes, Deborah, Deborah Hirsch also writes this. She says, people simply need people. As difficult as some of these relationships might be for many conservative evangelicals to accept, the question that needs to be dealt with here goes to the issue of how we can all be redeemed members of God's family and yet disagree on occasions. Are people who choose this path still brothers and sisters? Yes. The truth is, yes. They are our brothers and sisters who we are called to love and to be known by. Uh, when, uh, another author, Wendy, uh, her name's hard, Wendy Vanderwall Gritter, she writes this, and I think this is great. She says, the point is not to call for a watered-down discipleship. The point is we all need generous spaciousness in our walk with Christ. We need room to live in the tension of the call to virtue and the longing for happiness. We all need to find safety and grace in our friendships and community so that we don't have to try to figure this out alone. The truth is different people with different personalities, backgrounds, experiences, and capacities will navigate this paradox differently. The amazing good news of the gospel is that God is rich in grace and lavish in mercy. He knows us by name. He counts the hairs on our heads. He knows our weaknesses and our strengths. He knows our frame that we are dust. He knows our heart. In him we are set free from striving, set free from being motivated by fear, guilt, and shame. In him we find rest. I believe that the church's call is to understand not just the prohibition that like, is a weighty thing over another person's life. That doesn't make that go away. But that like, then we step in with our relationship and with ourselves and with pursuing intimacy and love and our relationship to be like, you can be known and you, like, you need, I need to know you and you, I will be known by you. This is the church call of the church. I feel like when we miss it, when we like move in places that we shouldn't, it's because it's just easier to say no. And it's also easier to just say, okay, I totally affirm. I'll trade in God's word. It's like, like, that also forgets the millions of people who have same-sex attraction and who have made varying different decisions on how to pursue Jesus. I won't let go of Jesus. I'm going to stay with Jesus. Some people enter into relationships because they feel it's okay. There's a church down the street from us that affirms same-sex relationships. And they love the Lord too. And they're working their way towards Him too. And then there's like the opposite, where people who have this attraction choose singleness and like even make covenants with the Lord out of singleness. It's like, well, like... Both are so big and weighty of a call in someone's life. I need to share my whole being in knowing that and also like helping and supporting and loving people because it is never okay for people out there 
to like think that suicide or depression and drugs and like that that is the option that like no Christ loves them just like he loves me just like he loves any one of us and so let's conclude this just because we're running very late there is so much that I want to say the issue of same-sex relationships with the church is one of my oldest passions and like something that I feel is quite central to my calling because I've never seen a church, I've never been a part of a church that can be this type of person, this type of people who like, okay, who believe in scripture because scripture also has our call to love and serve and be brothers and sisters and neighbors to everyone. That the church should have its doors open to everyone in the city. And so a couple years ago, I like had a question when our previous pastor was here. I had this question with him that we went back and forth with. Like, okay, like, is it better for someone who has same-sex attraction to say, you know what, this church down the street, they like, you can find the affirmation you want there. Like, is that better? Or because I think that's wrong, is like that giving somebody less truth? It's a complex question, like filled with another, another human being, right? And at times, I fell on different parts, like different sides of that answer, until like I found one thing that made up my mind. It's like, no, I won't say for somebody to go to another church, an affirming church, on the basis that you like my lasting call to everyone is to that you're my brother and you're my sister and you're my neighbor i need you with me i need to share life everyone is free to like make the decision to go somewhere else but like the call is to belong to one another and so i need same-sex attraction i need lgbt plus people non-conforming people in my life i need to share my being and know their being because that's my call given to me by jesus that's the church's call, to be a safe place for all of us to limp our ways towards heaven. And church, that's like the type of people that we are. If we are building this sexual ethic, this vision, this biblical worldview, it's this, all of this, that scripture only ever offers prohibition to these same-sex relationships, but that equally in that call is a call towards family, belonging you're my neighbor and I am yours and we are called to share this life together and so church is difficult it's complex broken hearts broken souls broken sexuality a lot of scripture asks a lot of people who have this attraction and it's not simple and there's a lot of gray there's a lot of complexity there's a lot of managing life and ups and downs and all, like everything. We know how big this is. Every time I told someone that we're going to be here, like their reaction was like, whoa, and fear. Like we're called to be these people who share Christ's love, his care, and his truth. That's how he saves any one of us. And so let's continue in this week in our MCs to talk about like how in the world can we do this? How in the world is God's, are God's boundaries good? And like, how do we be these people? How is city life known to know, believe in what we believe in? Because that also calls us to believe in being brothers and sisters and neighbors.
And so I've been here for a while now. It's about time for me to go, though I don't want to. But church, we love you. And we affirm that all of us are image bearers. And if this struggle is your own, we want to know you. We want to be known by you. And that this church will be a safe place for you to know the Lord. For you to find community. For your sexuality to be expressed in all of the healthy ways that we are called to do that. And so we love you. Like, deeply, we love you. And we want to walk, walk alongside anyone in this city who sexually feels different. And so, church, we love you. Um, we're going to be in our MCs. This is a big topic, and some people might be feeling very uneasy. Join our MCs. We will talk, have more further space to talk about this big issue that a lot of us are passionate about. And so we love you. Email me at preese at citylifenj.com if you want to be put into an MC. Even this week, we will put you into one of our MCs that meet Wednesdays and Thursdays for you to have the space to be heard and to hear other people. We love you all, and uh, we'll see you soon. Church, this is our call. It's a big call. Let's do it together. Have a good week.